Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. There are some clinical problems that seem as if they ought not need special attention, as if the issues are so obvious that any clinician can see the problem and then apply a treatment. But this is complicated when the problem is not well-defined in the usual medical sense, or doctors don't believe it exists, or the treatments are not standardized. Sometimes doctors may even be afraid to treat these conditions. It's almost embarrassing in our society that special organizations have to be created to fight for their people to prove the uniqueness, the legitimacy, and the reality of their ailments, and then for these same people to also have to fight for money to go into research looking for treatments for both the physical and the psychological aspects of their ailments. This is especially so in matters of chronic pain, and then even more so with women who suffer certain types of chronic pain. Joining us today is Terry Cowley from the TMJ Association and Chris Feasley from the National Volodini Association. These two ladies and their organizations are part of a larger group that recently began a project called the Campaign to End Chronic Pain in Women. Their website is www, and this is one word, nwomenspain, E-N-D-W-O-M-E-N-S-P-A-I-N dot org. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. Thank you. I want to get the specifics of your programs, but it's always helpful to know a little history behind a campaign. So whichever one of you want to start, how did this End Women's Pain project come about? Give us a little history, please. Well, a few years back, several of our organizations came together for a meeting that was actually organized by the TMJ Association looking at comorbid or coexisting conditions with TMJ. And all of our groups and disorders have a significant amount of research to date showing that a large percentage of our patient populations all suffer from multiple pain conditions in different areas of their body. So we started working collaboratively back in 2008. You know, we're all kind of doing the same thing, just repeating ourselves in different institutes within the federal government or different offices on Capitol Hill, advocating for research and awareness on each of our disorders. So we thought that it would be best to come together and combine our voices and the number of people that we represent to have kind of a larger, stronger influence on Capitol Hill and in trying to get additional research for these conditions to advance. And has it worked? Have you been able to get some response from the federal government? Well, first of all, the enthusiasm that was expressed by the people on the Hill that finally groups were working together instead of individually, asking for the same thing, multidisciplinary research to the conditions. So they were extremely excited that, yes, we definitely, we are coming at you as a united front instead of individually. On the other hand, and in addition to that, I think uh, what was represented in the report language that was sent by the Senate to the National Institutes of Health, Agency for Healthcare Research Policy, etc., shows that the Senate and hopefully the Congress this year is taking our situation seriously. I read also that recently the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, Kathleen Sabalis, actually endorsed your organizations. Uh, This is very exciting. Can you tell me a little bit about her response to your project? Well, again, this is in response to the language that was submitted in the appropriations bill to the National Institutes of Health this year. As you may be aware, the National Pain Care Policy Act, which has been on the Hill for many years, provisions, pain provisions from that bill were included in the larger health care reform bill that passed last year. So several of the provisions within that bill 
were to establish an interagency committee within the National Institutes of Health to kind of oversee research on pain and look at this from a multi-institute perspective rather than each institute within the NIH doing its own separate work on pain and also to move forward with an Institute of Medicine conference on pain. So she's been instrumental in dedicating leading organizations to oversee those two main components of the, of the pain provisions in the health care bill. One of the questions that was posed to me when I began to discuss with people that I would be interviewing the two of you is why does there have to be a separate focus on women? One would think that pain is enough of a universal problem for both sexes, but clearly there's something different about the population of women and their experiences in chronic pain. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Well, for our condition, I'm the uh, associate director of the National Volvidinia Association. Our conditions only affect women. Absolutely. But in a lot of these other pain populations, there seem to be a larger percentage of women who are seeking care for treatment. Now, what we don't know at this point in time is that whether that truly reflects the fact that more women suffer from the condition than men or if women are seeking care more often than men. So we really need additional research to move forward. But at this point in time, it appears that women seem to be more affected by pain, more severely affected by pain, and they also face more discrimination when it comes to getting adequate diagnosis and treatment for their pain disorders. So there's been quite a bit of studies down through the years looking at gender bias in pain care and treatment. And when men and women with equal type symptoms come in, they're not always addressed the same by healthcare providers. Men's reports of pain are taken more seriously, more aggressively, and they're more believed in the doctor's office when compared to women. So that's, that's really our focus on kind of the women, women's issue in terms of pain care. And what type of statistics are there? How many people in the United States, round figure, suffer from pain? How big a problem is it? It's a quite a large problem. Chronic pain is just as prevalent as diabetes, heart disease, and cancer combined. So we're talking about a very large population of people in the United States. It affects our economic impact quite a bit per year, lost to direct and indirect costs related to pain care and treatment and lost time at work. Yet the National Institutes of Health funding for pain is just a, a small fraction of what it spends on those other three conditions that I just mentioned. So we're really lagging way behind in terms of dollars spent per patient addressing pain, even though it's really impacting our economy and our society as a whole. Is it because there still is too much of a doubting or cynical attitude about the pain, especially in some of these conditions like chronic fatigue and and TMJ? It's a sad thing to say, but historically, there's been too much cynicism about the legitimacy of of these conditions. Sure. I think cynicism is the right word. Disbelief. How many of our TMJ patients are told, oh, just suck it up, you'll get over it. They offer all sorts of trivial types of therapies for the patient, clearly not believing that TMJ pain can be as severe as it is for many of the people suffering. Definitely there is disbelief. Why? Is it because it's women, do you think, that are presenting with it more? I've treated patients that have male patients with TMJ, but is it just because doctors don't believe? Is it because doctors are not adequately trained to assess it, or do you think it has to do a lot with their attitudes in terms of how they approach it? Speaking for TMJ in particular, temporomandibular disorders are treated in the dental community. 
when it comes to the intense pain that is not really addressed adequately by dentistry, they are not technically trained in chronic pain treatment. And the patients are then trying to get help from their internist or their primary care physician. Because the primary care physician, the internist, does not learn anything about TMJ disorders in medical school, it is something totally out of their bailiwick. And I think the publicity surrounding all of these conditions, fibromyalgia, the fact that we are still hearing and reading articles saying, does this really exist, shows that there is still disbelief. Is it disbelief because we don't know a lot about these conditions? Therefore, since we don't know about these conditions, obviously they aren't important. When it comes to women, definitely there is evidence that EMTs will give narcotics to the males in the ambulance, the females do not get the same care. Is that discrimination? Is it a lack of understanding? Is it is a lack of education? Probably all of the above. But the emotional aspect of this, let's skip just the physical aspect, the emotional aspect of a woman who is suddenly suffering from pain and having to deal with this burden of finding good pain treatment it must be horrendous. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in the case of Alvadinia, we've had NIH-funded population-based epidemiology studies that have shown that the majority of women seek care from at least three providers in um, just seeking a diagnosis, and that 60% of them remain un undiagnosed after that many office visits. So those types of studies have been replicated in all of these conditions. It's very difficult for, for women and men who are suffering from pain conditions to find appropriate care, particularly because we have such a specialized medical system, and pain patients really need multidisciplinary care. They don't often, aren't managed by just one type of provider, whether that's a gynecologist or a rheumatologist or whatever it may be. They usually need care in a pain clinic or with a neurologist, a physical therapist. They may, may need to seek care from a psychologist or psych psychiatrist if they need help managing depression or other symptoms that have resulted from living with chronic pain, and, and it oftentimes falls on the, the patient to manage all of that type of care for themselves when they're, they're the one who are, are suffering, and, and it's really difficult for them to do. Do you mind if I add to that, Dr. Strauss? I think, again, oh, so much of this goes back to two things, the lack of understanding of these conditions by the public, and definitely the lack of education of all healthcare professionals about these disorders. And I recall a patient saying to me one day when we were talking about depression, et cetera, and she said, Carrie, I never had time to be depressed because I was living in terror. I was 28 years old. I was at the top of my game. Before you knew it, I lost my job because I could not be at the office. My spouse was wondering, what is wrong with you? You've been to six different docs, and you've had all sorts of treatments, and we've lost a lot of money. Why aren't you better? So here is the spouse not privy to the understanding of these conditions or the condition that his wife was suffering from. And the longer this goes on, the more the patient goes into themselves. It is far easier to go into isolation and not talk about this because if all you meet when you do discuss this is total 
vacant lack of understanding and blaming the victim, then you just tend to not ever want to have to go through that again. You're dealing with guilt. Your spouse has just had to take another job and, by the way, have to come home, do the laundry, do the vacuuming, and take care of the kids. The children are put in a position of literally having to take care of the parents. And I've heard from parents of 35, 40-year-old women, men, where the parents have spent their entire pension on caring for their child. The guilt that this person who is suffering feels to see everyone around them so affected is profound. And in the process, when you're starting out with the chronic pain, you're actually losing your identity of who you are. You, you once ran a $5 million, $10 million corporation or more, and now you are without a job and in pain. And you're going through the same stages of grief that somebody who has lost a spouse, a parent, or because you've, you've lost your Yes, yes. And you have to come to the process, through, go through this process where you have to accept who you are. And it's an incredibly difficult and lonely journey. And lonely is complicated. I'm just looking at one of the charts in your report that says uh, the misdiagnosis or the undiagnosis ratios of one column, 80% have not been diagnosed. Another column, 50% of women with endometriosis see at least five providers before they receive a doctor's uh, proper diagnosis. Another 38% misdiagnoses. Another 40% remain undiagnosed after three medical consults. These are frightening numbers. So not only are these people suffering what you just described, the loss, but they're not getting the the approval of a medical diagnosis that says it's legitimate pain. So the, the psychological exactly. aspects here are phenomenal. Exactly. I mean, I kind of equate it to the gulag because you actually develop a fear of, well, as one of the women put it to me in a phone call, her husband asked her a week before her doctor appointment, are you going through a doctor appointment PMS? I mean, just revving up to see a medical professional or, you know, dental in the case of TMJ is daunting. because, And you suddenly are put into this position of, yes, doctor, yes, doctor. Because if you don't, you'll be asked well, or told, if you want to manage your own care, uh, you can just leave. I mean, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of tolerance in the community out there for patients like ours. And, and hence the subtitle of, or the organization which talks about discrimination straight discrimination. So let's let's look at it from a slightly more positive point of view because I and what you're saying is realistic and I would never discredit the reality of what you're saying, but what can people do to try to make things better? How does someone approach their pain? Where do they go for help? Those are big questions and maybe not so easy to answer, but what would be some advice to get someone to get started in in the right direction? Well, um, just in terms of vulvodynia, I think it does differ a little bit depending on which condition you're talking about because there have been different specialties that are 
medical specialties that are kind of treating different populations. I mean, Terry just described the, the issue that patients with TMJ have in that it's, it's not covered under your medical insurance. There are no specialties of physicians that see patients with TMJ. Really, most people are treating it right now are dentists, which is not an appropriate place. For vulvodynia, we have the issue that, that we're, we're kind of stuck in the gynecology world. When gynecologists, some of them do specialize in this area and, and have expertise, but the majority of them don't, and they don't have expertise in managing chronic pain. So we have to stop looking at this from kind of an end organ type conditions to pain, which is part of the central nervous system. I think there are organizations like ours established for all of these patient populations, including people that have generalized pain or other disorders that aren't covered under our campaign. And all of our organizations have educational materials. We all do slightly different things, but for the most part, we have educational materials and materials to help guide patients in deciding what types of treatments they may want or not want to try, what types of physicians or other types of healthcare providers which may be helpful, trying to connect people to each other for emotional and long-term support and coping with problems like this. So... So there definitely is help out there, and there's a lot of information available for people. So it's not completely hopeless. And there are providers out there who do specialize in some of these disorders and, and do very well in treating some of them. Again, it just it differs based upon which condition you're talking about. You know, one of the things that all pain patients need to do is be a master, as much as they can, a master of what their condition is and also to be a diplomat. They have to know how to, to work with the physicians and other resources. It's, it's a delicate balance for some people. Well, absolutely. I mean, first of all, we all have to look at ourselves as medical consumers. You know, we're paying for our health insurance. We're paying for our medical care, and we've got to educate ourselves. It's not fair that patients, the ones who are suffering and hurting in this situation, have to kind of take the grunt of this and, and do the work, but it's the, it's the reality of the situation that we're in, regardless of what type of health care or health situation you have. You've got to inform yourself and educate yourself about these conditions, and you've got to be your own best advocate. And if we look at management of our conditions like we would any other service that we're paying money for, we wouldn't settle for second best, or we, we took our car in to the mechanic and they said, well, you know, we fixed one of the five problems and that's all we're going to do. We wouldn't settle for that. We have to look at our, at our medical care like we we do all other areas of consumption and, and things that we're paying for. Uh, and I think if we take that type of approach, if you advocate for yourself and look at this as a service, that you deserve to be heard, you deserve to have your concerns taken seriously, and you deserve the best possible care, and you deserve compassionate care. Because there is an emotional, psychiatric, or psychological, and sociologic, and economic, and every type of other type of domain in, in life's effect of being in chronic pain at whatever level. It, it's, it's there. It's universal. It's in many ways. In addition to what Chris said, which I totally ditto, one patient said to me one day, you know, Terry, it's great. I listen to you, and I am so empowered. And then I get into the doctor's office, and he starts preaching at me. And I, I don't have a lot of choices. There aren't many people treating TMJ in my town. And unless I'm willing to travel the country, I'm stuck. So when I hang up this phone... It's great. You've empowered me. But you know what? I still am alone when I do hang up the phone. And, you know, I've thought about that an awful lot. And perhaps 
one of the positives that is going to be coming out or hopefully is going to be coming out is that there is report language to HRSA to direct them to actually start programs educating physicians and healthcare workers on the fact on how to deal with people in pain and if anything I think the day that we get physicians to understand this is real and compassion goes a heck of a long way in just treating a patient I think we will have won a lot I, I echo that. I mean, the most frequent comments that we hear from women are that even if they don't get all the answers that they're looking for when they walk into a doctor's office, if they are believed, taken seriously, and even, you know, even given somewhat of a diagnosis or some inclination as to what may be going on with them, it legitimizes their experience. Yes, we all want treatment and we want to get better, but that fundamental underlying issue of being believed, I think, is very, very important. Which is a very old issue, unfortunately, and embarrassingly so. When medicine has approached women, there are countless reports when I was in school of women coming to emergency rooms and having heart attacks but being told they are just having a panic attack. Absolutely. It was not good. Do you mind if I add to what Chris was saying? Uh, Studies have come out recently, particularly from a group at Southwestern, and what they basically do is they sit the patient down and educate them about, in this case, temporomandibular disorders, give them all of the information. This is an area that, at this point in time, we may not have everything that we need to treat you adequately. But this is where we are, and this is what we are going to do for you. And we're here for you. And just educating the person about the condition is extremely important aspects of it. What can we do at this time? What shouldn't we be doing at this time, given that we don't have the science and so forth? So I think that's number one. And number two is really believing the patient and working with the patient. I've had so many calls from so many patients over the years who were desperate is the only word. And I would have to call on one physician in particular. And she would, she was absolutely fabulous. She would actually call a person, a doctor, treating cancer pain in the area where this patient lived and actually had to educate them about TMJ disorders, about which she knew nothing until I started begging for her help. And just having people believe the patient and do anything they can to help that patient, you know, it's, it's all that we at this point can ask for. And it's very simple in many ways, isn't it? It, it really it is. is. It really is. Terry Cowley is from the TMJ Association, and Chris Wesley is from the National Volvodynia Association. We are talking about a campaign called the Campaign to End Chronic Pain in Women, subtitled Neglect, Dismissal, and Discrimination. I want to give you the website again because they have a lot of good information. It's www.nwomenspain.org. 
I strongly suggest that you go to it and look it up. Thank you, both of you. Your work is, is very good and very necessary, and step-by-step step will make this a better world for people in chronic pain. Thank you very much for joining us. And Dr. Strauss, thank you for your support. My pleasure.